Well, good morning, everybody. As we make our final way here, I'm going to open us with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity we have once again to be together. Lord, I thank you for Lakeside, for the the proclamation of your word that goes forth every week, which we desperately need. And I thank you also for the fellowship we have with one another. Lord, we pray now as we turn our attention to your word that you'll give us grace and wisdom and that you'll help us to have ears to hear and apply it to our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, let's turn in our Bibles and let's try and finish this section on 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 to 15. As we are in this section, we began the section last week And I came up with three practical principles for pursuing holiness. I wasn't trying to be cute with all the P's. It just is the way it worked out. But Peter begins this section, and he's talking about what is his concern. And it really comes down to the reason that he wrote this letter. As I've introduced the letter and as we've covered the beginning of the book... I've mentioned many times because he specifically references it. He's concerned that false teachers are going to come in to the church and try and lead people astray. In 1 Peter chapter 5, he warned about being alert because our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking those he can devour. And as he's writing this second book, I'm sure all these things are in his mind. But here he begins to explain what his purpose is in writing. And we covered this last week, but the first point, and I'll briefly review before we get into the new material, the first point was that there's no such thing as too much teaching. There's no such thing as too much teaching. Peter says this at verse 12, Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. Now, when he says, therefore, he's covering the first 11 verses, all the material that was there, but he's also going beyond that to the full body of apostolic teaching. Peter had already talked about the work of God and the promises of God and what God did through his word to bring us alive in Christ. And God provides all that we need for life and godliness, and he does it through his precious and magnificent promises of his word. And because of that, we're supposed to live increasingly holy lives, and we have to be on the alert and make sure that we're truly in the faith by examining ourselves. All those things are wrapped up in the beginning of the chapter. And he says, therefore, I'll always be ready to remind you of these things. In other words, he said, I've taught you this. In fact, he confirms they already know this. They're not ignorant. He's not teaching them because they don't know. He's saying, I know you know, but I'm going to keep telling you. I'm going to keep telling you. I will always be ready to remind you of these things. He cares about them. He loves them. But he's not going to let the fact that they're already grounded stop him from giving them more reminders. He says, you already know them. You've been established in the truth. And yet everything I do is going to be to remind you of these truths. And the idea, as I bring this point to a close, because this is just a review, we, we never get to the point in the Christian life and say, to where we can say, well, I don't, need to, I don't need to study that anymore. I heard Pastor Steve preach on that six times. I'm good. No, we always need to be reminded. No matter what we think we know, we need more reminders. In fact, this has been convicting me recently of how many times, because 
I feel like I know a lot of the scriptures, I'll hear somebody else teaching and I'll start to tune out. I've, I've been convicted of this. It's like, wait a minute. Yeah, you know what he's going to say, but Peter would tell you, you need to be reminded. That's the case for all of us. And the second principle that I began to introduce last week, but we didn't conclude, is this. Complacency is, is a danger we must take seriously. Complacency is a danger we must take seriously. And you can see how this connects together. Peter's saying, I'm going to remind you, I'll always be ready, even though you know it, I'm going to remind you. In verse 13, he says this, in verse 14, I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Now, I began to talk about these verses, although I didn't get into the verses that actually deal with complacency, or at least I didn't start explaining it. But there is a clear sense of urgency here. Peter is focused, he's serious, and he realizes his time is short. But what I wanted to emphasize last week was that when Peter says, I consider it right, what he's saying is, this is the right thing for me to do. I'm convinced before the Lord that this is my duty to you. If I'm in this earthly dwelling, and again, we're going to talk about this in a moment, just this body... This is what I have to do. And I gave a lot more background last week, but it really comes back to the reality of Peter's own failure. Peter was at the pinnacle of knowledge. He was an apostle among the apostles. He was in the inner circle of the inner circle. And he knew what Jesus taught. He was there. In fact, when Jesus was saying... I'm going to go to, the, in essence, the cross, and all of you will desert me. Jesus said, that they can do it, but I'm there. I got your back. Excuse me, that's what Peter said. Peter said, they can all fall away. I'll never fall away. And Jesus knew that wasn't the case. Peter was going to fall away. But Jesus also knew he would restore them. And as I alluded to last week, Luke twenty-two thirty-two, 32, Jesus, before Peter has failed, talks about the fact that Satan has demanded permission to sift you, and he says, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. In other words, the charge of Jesus to Peter, which must have resonated in Peter's mind, was at some point you're going to repent, and when you do, strengthen the brothers. That's Peter's goal, strengthen and feed the sheep. Teaching is reminding. Writing this letter is reminding. Everything he is doing is trying to strengthen the sheep and feed the sheep. And so when Peter says, I consider it right, it's because of the words of Jesus that no doubt resonated in his own mind. Remember for Peter, when I'm recounting these things that Jesus said, Peter didn't know these things because he read them in one of the gospel accounts. The gospels weren't written yet, likely. Peter knew it because he heard it from Jesus' own mouth. So he says, I consider it right. This is my duty. This is my calling from the Lord. And it's not the content of the message. It's the fact that he's going to remind. As long as I'm breathing, I'm going to do this over and over. I won't read it again right now, but in, it was in John 21, 15 to 17. After Jesus had risen again, and he was talking to Peter, and three times he said, do you love me? Do you love me? But what he said to him was, 
feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. That's what Peter was doing. So now that's all the background. That's all of what we talked about. And now let's look a little bit more specifically in what Peter's saying. So he says, I consider it right. He's convinced beyond a shadow of doubt because I got this command from Jesus. This is what I should do. Remind you, no matter how much you know, you need to know more. I need to remind you. And he says, as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling. And we're going to see in verse 14, Peter was coming to the end of his life. And so when he refers to this earthly dwelling, he's just talking about his physical body. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 1-4 explained exactly what Peter's talking about. He says, For we know that if the earthly tent which is our house is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groaned, being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed, but be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. In other words, the imagery is found in many places of Scripture is just the fact that this is not our permanent dwelling. As much money as we spend taking care of our bodies, at the end of the day, this is just temporary. This is going away, and we understand that. And Peter is saying, as long as I'm in this temporary dwelling, I'm going to keep doing this. And this is where we actually get to the point about complacency. He says, as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling, I consider it right to stir you up by way of reminder. To stir you up carries a very powerful image in a minute, I'm going to give an illustration that I think conveys the sense, but it's one of those things you can read, and we read things like that, and it just kind of goes past us. But this is where Peter has a sense of urgency, and he's really pressing home, this is important. Really just means, to stir up is really just meaning to wake somebody up, to arouse them from slumber, to get them fully alert. And the imagery that comes to my mind, and since we're, we'll all be honest, most of us are at the age we understand we're getting old. Our earthly tents have clearly are out of the warranty period. But imagine, if you will, you're sitting and watching TV and you fall asleep. That probably never happened to you guys, but you're sitting there and you're asleep. But it's not bedtime, you're just asleep. And then the house catches on fire. Somebody else that's in the house is going to have to wake you up. And they're going to have a sense of urgency, a sense of panic. And it's not just the type of waking up that says, hey, come to bed, and then three hours later you're still sleeping in the chair. It's the kind of urgency that says, no, you got to be awake now. This is urgent. If you're not awake, you will perish. This can't wait. When our daughter Heather was born, she was our second, we were living in Fresno. My mom happened to be in town because we knew Debbie was close to giving birth, and so she was going to stay with our daughter Rachel, who was still not even two years old. And we, Debbie was supposed to be induced on the morning of February 12th. And that night, on February 11th, she went into labor. And, I don't know, it was 11-something at night. 
and she said, okay, I'm going to take a shower, and then you've got to take me to the hospital. Okay. And so she came out of the shower, and I was asleep. And she was trying to wake me up, and I just kept sleeping. <laughs> and I finally remember hearing something that said, fine, I'll get your mother to take me. And I thought, what? Wait, what? That's not right. Eventually, she stirred me up. And I woke up. That's what Peter's trying to do with us. And here's what's interesting. He's suggesting what we know to be reality. Even a mature believer who's grounded in the truth, who knows things, can get complacent and lazy and forget that we're in a battle. To just sort of start going through the motions. Yes, yeah, Steve is teaching and I'll take some notes. Or I've got the app that Bruce puts the notes in. It's easy for us to be lulled to sleep, so to speak, by the ease and comfort of our lives, or to be lulled to sleep by the trials of our lives. Peter's saying, you can't do that. In fact, all that I'm doing while I'm writing this letter, what I'm going to spend every breath of my life trying to do is to wake you up. To let you know this is serious, this matters. You've got to wake up. You've got to be ready. And again, I shared this last week. It's just been resonating with me that when Peter was writing this letter, most of the Gospels had not been written, probably none of them, depending on the date of the letter. But again, he's not remembering these things because he went back and read what I'm about to read. He's remembering it because God seared it upon his heart. Jesus taught in Mark 13 what he taught in many other places. He says this, Mark 13, beginning at verse 33 through verse 37, Jesus said, Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. It's like a man away on a journey who, upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assign, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. That's what Peter is talking about. That's what he's doing. He's trying to stir us up to be alert. I've already alluded to it, but 1 Peter 5, 8 is where he says, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking those he can devour. So with all of this, because of that phraseology, I think you can understand why I said complacency is the issue. We can't, as believers, ever let our guard down. We have to be alert to the dangers of our flesh and the dangers of the adversary that we're in spiritual warfare all the time. It's not a thought unique to me, but I've read several people that alluded to the fact that for many Christians, they're only alert one day a week it's when they're in church. But when you think about that, if we're honest, sometimes we're not even alert in church. It's hard to fall asleep if you're standing up and singing, but once the sermon starts, all of us, I think, have nodded off. If you haven't, praise the Lord for you. But we can do it. I think it's a great picture at times of our life in America because our lives, even when they're difficult, are easier than most people have ever lived in all of human history. Occasionally we'll get upset by something in the news or we'll get upset by some video or we'll get upset by some issue of the day 
and then the church goes back to sleep. Peter doesn't want that. And why I keep saying it's urgent, and, and it was alluded to the fact, Peter knows I'm going to die, and you won't be able to hear from me personally again. So until that happens, and it's coming quickly, I'm going to keep doing this. Verse 14. Knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Now it's interesting because this could have come about in a couple of ways. Certainly, and various commentators say different things, but while Jesus was on the earth, he told Peter he was going to die by crucifixion in his old age. In John chapter 21, verses 18 to 19, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Jesus whether Peter fully understood it, but I think he did eventually, particularly after Jesus was crucified, understood that one day he would die by an execution. He would be led by someone else where he didn't want to go, just like Jesus, and his arms would be stretched out and he would die. And so it could be that when Peter writes this and says, this is imminent, and, and Jesus told me, it could be that he's just realizing God gave me this life and I'm in old age and my days are numbered. I'm old and Jesus said, when you're old, this is going to happen, so I know it's going to happen soon. And so until that day, I'm going to keep on reminding you. I'm going to keep on stirring you up. I'm going to wake you up. I'm going to do everything I can. Now, it's also possible, though it's not recorded in Scripture, that Jesus gave a more specific prophecy to Peter that isn't recorded in Scripture. Either way, Peter knew when he was writing this letter, my days are coming to an end very soon. And so I have a very little time, and yet he so loved them that he was not going to stop exhorting them. As long as I'm alive, I've got to do this because I won't be alive very much longer. He's in essence saying, I'm going to do everything I can to remind you of the truth. I don't ever want you to fall asleep. I'm going to wake you up. I don't want you to doze off. Again, he doesn't want us to have happened to us what happened to him in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember Jesus said, you stay here and pray. And what happened over and over, he comes back and Peter, not just Peter, but still, Peter would remember. Couldn't you just pray for one hour? Obviously not. You can imagine that all these life's experiences are building up and Peter's in essence pleading with us saying, look, this is the most necessary thing i got to remind you. I'm going to remind you. I'm going to keep reminding you. you got to be alert. You can't doze off ever. There's an interesting thing that happens in the African church. The church is in one 
building, the churches that have a building. We did some churches outdoors. But imagine a church building, just concrete block, very hot. It's got a roof. And the service goes on, and everybody's in the service together. But the kids are sitting over in one section. They're all together, but they're in the service. And the people are spread around. They have some musicians up here. And then all the leadership sits up front, all in chairs. And then whoever's preaching is preaching. And I probably have alluded to this before, but while the preaching's going on, I, I've noticed this. I noticed it first in Nigeria, but it happens everywhere. There's a lady walking around with a stick. And at first, I thought she was just going to hit the kids because they hit the kids in Nigeria when the kids were getting out of line, like that. But what I realized was the lady was waking up adults. So she's walking along, and when somebody dozes off, she hits them. And she walked up to where the leadership was because one of the leaders fell asleep and she hit the leader with the stick. So perhaps Peter is not trying to humiliate us, but it's that type of reminder, whatever it takes. If it's an African lady with a stick, whatever it takes, you've got to be alert. And so Peter will bring us to our final point because he understands and he's planning for his death. He knows he's going to die, and he wants to make sure that even after he's dead, they're protected. So the first principle was this. There's no such thing as too much teaching. Second, complacency is a danger we must take seriously. Third, we must continually consume the Word of God. We must continually consume the Word of God. And again, what's resonating in my mind is Jesus saying to Peter, Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. And in verse 15, Peter's explaining that he's going to do his best to make sure there's food. He says, and I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. So in other words, Peter is saying, while I'm alive, and I'm not going to be alive very long, I'm going to keep reminding and keep reminding, but he says, I'm going to provide for you so that when I'm gone, when this earthly tent is over, when I'm in heaven you'll still have the ability to feed on the Word. You'll be able to call these things to mind. He, he's in essence making his readers a promise that says, look, I'm going to be diligent to do all I can do to make sure that you have the Word of God before you so that you can keep on strengthening yourself even when I'm gone. After my departure, after I'm dead, you'll be able to call these things to mind. And again, the overall context makes it clear he's talking about the written word of God. I've thought, as morbid as it sounds, what would I preach if I knew I was going to die very soon? Now, I've already thought that I don't want Steve to stand up at my funeral and say, if Joe was here, here's what he would say. So if I knew I was going to die, I'm going to record my own funeral service. So you won't have to wonder what I would say because you'll hear me say it. But what would be on my heart of the most urgency to talk to my girls or my grandson or my wife or my church family? Peter wasn't just trying to pick. He was saying, I'm going to make sure you have what you need. In fact, in my case, I would just say, read the Bibles that you've already been given. But again, they didn't have all the scriptures. So Peter's saying, I'm going to do my part by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to make sure you have the word written. 
Again, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep had to be resonating with him. And this is his way of saying, I'm going to leave food behind for you that you can access on your own. The question is, which food is he talking about? And I don't think it's necessary to wrestle it to the ground, but they're really two different ideas. And I think they're equally plausible. One is that he's talking about the fact, I'm going to be diligent to finish the letter I'm writing to you. Because you're going to have this together. And I'm going to make sure you get this. And I'm going to be diligent. I'm going to make sure you receive it. So that you have, again, it's the second letter I'm writing to you, as he'll say later. So that you'll have both of my letters. Many people refer to Second Peter sort of as a last will and testament. Here's my final word. I'm going down. Here's what I'm going to say. So some people think that he's really just talking about the rest of the letter. In verse 15, he's saying, look, I'm going to be diligent. I'm going to get the rest of this written, and you're going to have it, and you're going to be able to go back and read this over and over. But there's another school of thought based on church history that would take me far too long to get into, and it's beyond my expertise, but I read about it in, in the commentaries. There's another view that thinks he's talking about the gospel of Mark. Church tradition, church history suggests that the gospel of Mark was Mark found in the scriptures, but who was a disciple of Peter recording Peter's words. In other words, there's a tradition in church history going back into the first and second century that says the gospel of Mark, yes, it was prepared by Mark, but Peter was saying, this is what I want you to record. Obviously, Matthew records certain things. Mark records different things. Luke records things, and then the Gospel of John. But the idea and the tradition is that Mark really is Peter. Not literally, but the teaching of Peter. So Mark, being a disciple of Peter, was recording what Peter said, this is what I want you to record. And so some people think that what Peter is saying here is I'm going to make sure Mark records additional truth for you so that you have all you need. You can imagine somebody that works with Pastor Steve for 30 years. Certainly, it's, it's not a perfect analogy, but works with Pastor Steve and records his notes. And then Steve says, write out my memoirs. Write this out. The idea being that in a much more profound way, Mark did that for Peter, and that's how we got the Gospel of Mark. It's the recollections of Peter about the sayings of Jesus. The bottom line was that Peter knew the only way that the sheep could be fed is to have in front of them the Word of God. Whether it was the completion of this letter or whether it was ensuring that the Gospel of Mark was written, either way, what Peter is saying is, I'm going to make sure there is before you food in a written form so that you can consume it over and over and over again. Again, I can't imagine how much of Jesus' teaching resonated with him. Now, Peter would not have been present when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by Satan, but certainly Jesus would have communicated the truth to the apostles. Matthew 4, 4, But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's what Peter's trying to do for us. He's trying to make sure that we have food. But that points out the duty to us. If we're truly alert, then we'll understand that we need to eat. We need to consume 
food. It's hard to fathom how much we take for granted the Bible. We have so many copies of the Bible as Americans, it's silly. You've got multiple, I can't even count the number of English versions I have just on my phone or on my computer or the countless hard copy copies of the Bible that we all have. But if we don't read it, what's the point? You can imagine being starving to death and then somebody lays food out for you. And if you don't eat it, you'll still starve. Peter is saying, you're being provided and I'm going to do all I can to provide you the ability after I'm gone to keep feeding on the word. How much more is that calling to us? We have it. We have all the counsel of God. We have the 66 books in every kind of translation you could imagine. But we have to be willing to read it. We have to continually consume the Word of God. If the command of God is for us to be reminded, if the command of Jesus to His apostles was to feed the sheep, then we can't be the rebellious sheep that reject the food. Again, it's an imperfect analogy. And if you're like me, vacation starts tomorrow. I've already got one foot on the dock of the boat. (laughs) So I'm already thinking about all the food I'm going to eat. So we get on the boat as early as we can because we already paid for the food, so we want to eat there. And one of the first things Debbie and I do is to muscle past people because we know how to cruise now, and we head straight for the buffet. If you get there earlier, you know, people aren't even there yet. And I, if you've been on a cruise, you understand, you've got to know how to work your way around a buffet. You, you can't eat the fluff first. You've got to get the good stuff, and you've got to be able to balance your plate, and you've got to know when you can carry two plates. It's work, but you also got to have an eye on dinner because as you're eating now, you got to be ready. What's on the menu tonight? Because I got to save room for the prime rib. The point is this I'm thinking all the time already about all that I'm going to eat. And in a very real sense, we have something far greater than that that is in our possession every single day. And we got to have that sense of urgency, we got to desire it. And want to consume the buffet that God's given us. So that sets the stage for the rest of the book. Peter's going to be reminding us. Even though you already know these things. We're going to be stirred up. We're going to be woken up. By way of reminder so that we can be holy as God is holy. Please join me as I close our time in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you for the urgency that Peter had in his letter. And Lord, forgive me for my complacency. Lord, even as I'm teaching and preaching to my brothers and sisters, Lord, I realize my own failures and shortcomings in this regard. Lord, stir each one of us up. Wake us up out of our slumber. I thank you that you've provided us a church where we truly have a buffet every week, but Lord, let us have that sense of urgency that wants to be the first in line, consuming. Lord, we love you. Again, we remember our sister Jean. We pray for her to be able to get out of the hospital. We pray for all the others, including many in this class, who are hurting and sick and battling illnesses. Lord, 
Show us mercy. We desperately need it. We love you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.